Hello and welcome to First Basso, a show where we learn together how to take that first basso toward becoming the best versions of ourselves. My name is Candace Olushala and today we unfortunately are having to revisit a conversation that we actually talked about at the beginning of the podcast series on race in America, some of the politics behind that, and where we are today. Um, We recently had an incident in the United States, this was last week when this was recorded, where the Capitol in D.C. was attacked by what I would call domestic terrorists. Not everyone agrees with that terminology, but I'm sticking with it. And I have a lot of emotions and thoughts around it, but I wanted to bring in some people that I know who I've been talking with about these events. And I wanted to get their opinion as well and just have an open, honest dialogue about it. So we're just going to have this conversation and hopefully it'll be something that will leave you to also have conversations in your circles with people on on everything. Um, so I want my friends to kind of go around and introduce themselves and say what they do, where they're from. And then we're just, we're just going to talk about it. Um, there's no script. We don't have anything written down. We just have a lot to say. So um, let's start with you, Greg. Hey, everyone. My name is Greg. I am currently in Abbotsford, British Columbia. I am a graduate of two bachelor degrees in theater and film and also in religious studies, youth leadership. I previously served as a director of children and family ministries for about a year and a half, currently in between jobs. But yeah, that's a little bit about me and where I'm from. Awesome. Hey, my name is Brent. I'm uh, currently living in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, have a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in biblical counseling, and I am currently a pastor here in Louisville. Hi, folks. My name is Annabelle Dorch. I'm currently living in New York, um, and I'm working at Fordham University. Um, I just finished up my doctorate in clinical psychology, and and I work with the uh, um, college kids at the Counseling Center. Hi, my name is Alex DeLeo. I live in New York City. I'm an actor. Um, and I also, this past summer, was part of the Reckoning Race at Walnut Hill, um, striving for racial equality at my old high school. Hi, my name is Laura. I'm currently located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Um, I work for a national nonprofit in Canada, but my academic background is in journalism and political science and specifically in international relations, focusing on Europe and Eurasia. So happy to be here. Um, So my name is Christina Kyle. Um, I am an emergency medicine physician and doing a fellowship in pediatric emergency medicine, and I'm out in Loma Linda, California. 
Uh, my name is Garrison Hayes. Uh, I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia, but I'm currently pastoring in the DC metro area. Um, I've been here for a few years. And I'm Simone Marshall Hayes, and um, originally from Nashville, or actually originally from the Caribbean, but um, from Nashville, living in DC with Garrison Hayes, my husband, and I'm an attorney. Hi everyone, thank you for having me. My name is Alex Nelgis. I am currently in my last year of study toward a PharmD MBA. I have a background in biochemistry, but have had a long-standing passion for political advocacy and various legislative initiatives, both in pharmacy and also just in human rights. So happy to be here. Awesome, thanks guys. So, I mean, I'll just open up the floor for whoever wants to start, but what what were your initial reactions and emotions to what happened when you saw the footage and pictures of what was happening at the Capitol? Anyone want to go first? Yeah. I'll start. Um, yeah, I, I'll age myself right now. I'm 30. Um, I, so the last time I felt something like this was around 9-11, and that's kind of the the sense and the atmosphere that I was feeling. Even though I was here in an apartment in New York City all by myself, I, I felt myself glued to the TV. Um, right from the moment I heard about it, I just turned on CNN. I also, uh, I'll, I'll be very candid, I flipped back and forth from CNN and Fox News and a few other outlets just to see what people were saying and what exactly was happening. Um, and I think because at 9-11, I was very young, but being an adult, knowing what I know and seeing all this happen, I, I was scared. I was, it was something scary. It's not something, we see these things, but this was different. This was here in America. Um, it was a clear planned attack. Um, and people keep saying it's an attack on democracy. It wasn't just that. It was an attack on people. It was an attack on a place. It was um, a white supremacy terrorist act. Um, and so watching it unfold, I was, I was anxious the whole day. I couldn't take my eyes off the TV. And I was just like, what is this going to spiral into? Um, because, I mean, there's even more talks. That's why parlor is now shut down because there was more talks about more um attacks throughout the country and so like that's kind of what i just could feel that momentum starting and like no one was stopping it and so i i was just kind of frozen and and, and honestly scared yeah anyone else I'll go ahead. So okay, I I'll go. Kind of, oh, sorry, Greg. Um, oh, no, no, no. Yo. Offer a juxtaposition to that. So I was actually on rotation, so I was not able to be glued to the TV all day. And when I first caught wind of an update, I just thought there was, like, a protest outside. Like, I, I remember I went on my Instagram story, story, and I was like, these people are nuts. Like, what is going on? Um, and then I went and got my COVID vaccine actually. And then when I came out, I was able to read 
actually what was going on and see some newscastings and hear on the radio. And then, then it kind of dawned on me like, oh, like this is an invasion. This isn't just people being wild outside the Capitol. And that was a very, it was a turning point for me in the day when I realized like Alex just detailed, like this was a white supremacy attack. And as he mentioned, not just on democracy. I mean, they had, I think we have grossly underestimated and underportrayed the planning and the danger that was posed on January 6th. And I think that that's something that I've specifically seen. I'm happy to talk about here. Um, people aren't taking it as seriously as if this were a foreign government intervening. And I keep drawing that that comparison because I just felt, I mean, me from the beginning of the day that, it, oh, there's just a protest and then come to find out what had actually transpired was certainly not a protest. Yeah. Greg, did you want to go? Yeah. All right. So from my perspective, again, this is coming from uh, someone who's living in Canada, where we are, the influence that uh, uh, the Make America Great movement has had, it has not just been isolated to the United States, at least from my perspective. Like, this goes way beyond that. There are several people who are up here in Canada who vehemently um, support that ideology or that notion or um, have... Uh, align themselves with along the lines of fascism. So hearing that this was happening and also seeing that there were demonstrations in Canada that took place an hour away from where I lived. Like, it's not like the, these people were even at the Capitol. They just decided to find a place randomly. Like, I live about an hour away from Vancouver. So outside the art gallery in Vancouver, we had a, there was also a protest. It was just people waving flags and yelling at people that were driving by them. But at the same time, I kept on thinking, like, the United States is being invaded right now. And you're celebrating up here in Canada as if you are part of the revolution. And it, it, it disgusted me. And it honestly pained me so much that this is going on. And people were celebrating it. A lot more people were celebrating it rather than just taking it seriously. The key thing that I noticed was how much this behavior has been normalized over the last four and a half to five years, where this way of thinking, this um, mainstream view on the world, on politics, on democracy, has been so normalized by so many people in society, not just in the United States, but all over the world, that it scared me as to think, like, what's going to happen moving forward? How is this event going to, like, help bring people forward or help us progress or move on to the next stage of what's going to happen? Like, it, it just scared me knowing that this was considered an okay thing. Yeah. Simone? But we didn't even need footage. Uh, we were there. We were... Um in downtown DC around the cap uh, the capital area around the mall on the mall and we just went to kind of you know see what we could see just kind of check it out and really I wanted to see it with my own eyes and just see what was happening but then we got there and a lady was like walking with her lawn chair and she had like these bags in her hands and she was walking with her husband and they kind of stopped near to where we were on the sidewalk. And she was like, they're breaching the Capitol up there. 
And we heard like all of this noise coming from where the Capitol was. And I was amazed at how close they were because we were also there for the March on Washington. And there was like, nobody was that close really. And so I was amazed at how, you know, they were very loud. They were, you know, chanting things and um, they were very, very close. And so we found out that they had just breached it and that was when we kind of decided to head out but it was shocking and then the police started coming in you know and we saw like just the panic kind of start to set in where people started also leaving some of them some of them started heading towards the capital um but it was really i mean honestly it was kind of devastating to see and kind of for me it was really kind of heartbreaking honestly i just didn't think i would see anything like that in my entire lifetime um, hopefully ever in the history books. And so I was shocked. And then getting in the car, we heard a lot of the um, news reports and things like that start to roll in from what was happening. And it was just really shocking. Yeah, I mean, as, as Simone is, is saying, um, you know, I guess we didn't have to see it, you know, on a screen. Um, I think, you know, I've been online kind of I try to keep up with what's going on in like these kind of far right kind of circles so I look at their hashtags I have certain friends on my friend list who are affiliated with those kinds of ideologies and I routinely go and, and check out what's going on on their page just to get an idea of what that what that conversation is because it's clearly not it, that's just not in my natural um, I guess algorithm so I try to go out. Of, I go out of my way to get it. And they've been saying for weeks that the storm is coming, that the storm is coming. Like hearing that over and over, or seeing that online so often, I really didn't know what that meant. And so when we heard people saying that they were storming the Capitol, that's just quite literally the first thing that came to my mind is that for the last however many weeks. Maybe, maybe even months since the election, people have been saying that the storm is coming. And then to hear that same language used in a moment of crisis, um, it was just so, so jarring and vivid. Um, to hear people say like, like one guy passed by us as we were leaving. I mean, Simone's right. We were, we were not just on the mall. We were literally at the Capitol. We were as almost as close as you can get on a normal day legally, right? And and so we were right there. And, you know, hearing people kind of come out um, of the Capitol and pass by us once we decided it was time for us to leave, we didn't feel safe. Hearing, we had a guy pass by us, several people who had been in the Capitol passed by us who had broken in. Um, but one guy passed by us and he was on his phone um, kind of talking about how cool it was to be inside and, and how awesome it was to, to, have, to have done that and to been a part of it. Um, and so it was just this really bizarre moment to kind of be in something that, that like you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, even in the moment. Like sometimes it takes a while to know that you're living in history. But in the moment, I felt, and I know that Simone felt this way as well, like this really kind of profound sense that this is... This is something that's never happened before. There, There is no comparison to be made between this event and any other event in American history. Um, that's how, how different, strange, new, unique novel it was. For me, was I doing? I was at a 
I have a twice a month conference for my fellowship and I knew I had a break for lunch for like half an hour. Uh, where it was like 11.30-ish, 11.30 noon-ish here. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to watch. I knew they were going to certify the election today in Congress. I knew that several Republicans were going to vote against the certification. So I had a, I had a little break in my day, and I was like, I'm just going to flip on Twitter here and put on the live feed and see what these people are saying. Um, and then it was, it was so ironic that right at that moment – was when all the ruckus started happening in the chamber. I was like, what is happening? And they were like, order, order. And I was like, what is happening? Why aren't they ordering? Um, <laughs> and then it then they went into a recess and then it just went blank. And I was like, what the heck is happening here? So I like hashtag, because Twitter's like the place I get like all the real time news. News doesn't happen fast enough on my apps. So I just like hashtag House of Representatives and I got all this feed about this big rally that turned into a protest that turned into a breach of the Capitol. And it just blew my mind. And I, and I just was kept up refreshing and refreshing and looking at all these news pieces that was coming in, were coming in just real time. I didn't pay attention to my conference the whole rest of the day. It kind of felt bad. They were on Zoom on one half of my screen, the other half of my screen, I'm just like, how is this happening? How is this happening? I don't even remember what we talked about. Um, but just the jarring, I like my palms were sweaty all afternoon because I realized just how significant this was. But at the same time, and I, I, I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in the Southeast, just like you guys did too. And I think I... I've seen that kind of rhetoric before. I haven't had it on my radar as much as I maybe should have just to real, I have kind of stayed in my algorithm because it's kind of what makes me comfortable. I am left-leaning, I am a registered Democrat, I, and I try to be aware of real issues, but at the same time, I think I just had not had that aspect on my radar and I think to a certain extent it is it is good too to have both sides on your radar um, but I hadn't and but I knew that rhetoric was out there and seeing it actually in full force was jarring to me in in a certain way that it in in ways it has been before um, Charlottesville different shootings Black Lives Matter and then I, I see that counter rhetoric, but actually seeing it in the seat of our government was was crazy. Um, one of the things that, so I had that in my head, of course, as I was scrolling through. Um, the other thing I had as it was going on was, where's all their backup? What, where is their help? Because I could easily see that people were inside, windows breaking, police overwhelmed, rightly. As they were, they were just flat out outnumbered. But at the same time, and I'm sure we'll get more into this later, I thought about where, why, how was this allowed to happen? Where's our military? Where's our 
huge police force? Where's all the weapons? Where's, I know it's there. Why, why is it not being used? Because I've seen it being used before. So where is it? So those are, I kind of went on there, but those were my thoughts throughout the afternoon. Yeah. Annabelle, how about you? Um, I am really resonating with the, the fear that the Alex's shared, um, upon first, like watching the footage, I think it was my sister that texted me and she was like, Hey, are you watching the news? And I'm like, no. Um, so I turned it on and I think it happened in waves because this went on for hours. So I felt like my first reactive feelings were, oh, expletive, um, 2020 part two, here we go. And who are these wild, crazy people? Like, how dare they? And I think even in those reactive statements, you can see I'm distancing myself from it, blaming it on a year on those people. Um, and I think very quickly I was able to realize you're not naming what's happening in this moment. And I think it's okay to have reactive feelings and thoughts, but the point is you need to regulate what's happening and then critically think about it further. Um, and I think that's when I was able to, you know, take a breath, calm down your amygdala, use your frontal lobe and think. This is, again, a domestic terrorist attack um, fueled by white supremacy um, that you as a white, white passing multi-ethnic um, Latinx person benefit from. And being able to both name what's happening and position myself socially um, and name how I benefit from the values that are um, informing this attack, um, that was important. Because I feel like when you get stuck in this distancing emotional response, nothing happens. Um, you might engage in some performative allyship for a little bit, post some Instagram stories, with not any real thought about what's going on in self-reflection. Um, and, and I've seen myself do these things. I am not immune to these things. Um, and so I think over the course of hours, it was, it went from reacting and distancing to like thinking about like, okay, what is happening and what am I going to do about it? Um, so those were my, my first and second thoughts. Brent, yeah. Um, well, so my thoughts were uh, kind of along the lines of everybody else, but a little bit about me. I actually was a congressional intern in college, um, so I actually know the Capitol. Um, I know people who work there. Um, so one of my first reactions, even though we could have seen this coming for some time, um, was immediately about my friends. Um, who are working inside that building as people are breaking in with zip ties, as there's nooses outside, as there's everything um, immediately went to them. And especially some of my friends who, um, I have a friend I went to college with who works uh, for Senator McConnell. And all I was thinking was if there's a place they're going after, it's gonna go straight to him because he said um, that this was silly, they just need to accept Biden's election. Um, so I really worried because they have a newborn. Um, so some of my first was just fear for, for him. Now, thankfully, you know, talked to him later, you know, had to have people usher them out, like under armed guard to get them out of the building. Um, but just the, 
the craziness of it, and especially as a pastor, because man, I could see this coming for, we, we say white supremacy. Um, one of the other things that um, has been thrown around a lot recently is Christian nationalism, um, which is this kind of like, we are so obsessed with politics, especially Trumpism, that we will literally start a war over it. Um, and as a pastor, and I'm a Southern Baptist pastor at that, um, very much of the people I serve around and other pastors I know fall into some of that sometimes and fuel that fire um, in a way that I wish somebody would just go slap them. Um, but then I'm probably part of the problem by doing that. But just seeing how much of it was fueled from, uh, from a pastor standpoint, from our pulpits, um, from our inability to just call sin, sin, and just straight up say, stop it. Like, that just blew my mind. And that's what just, as all of it was unfolding, I had one of my interns with me during the whole thing. And I probably was saying a lot of things I hope he never repeats. But um, just crazy, crazy day. Yeah. How about you, Laura? Well, I mean, Greg kind of alluded to this, um, but so as a Canadian, uh, sometimes we tend to have this weird moral superiority that this is happening in the U.S. versus that it can happen here. And I think my initial reactions as I was watching all of it unfold was just, just utter sadness. It's because our two countries are so linked. There's so many connections. Um, it's like watching your your older brother just descend into this this path of like off like just making bad decision after bad decision and like there's nothing you can do to stop it um but you're also affected by it because america has such um influence not like culturally economically politically militarily so things that happen in the u.s affect us here in canada so you're watching and there's nothing you can really do about it but things that are happening there are affecting you as well so it's just that weird state of of it just it was just sadness just watching it on the news um but yeah going back to annabelle is after you get over that initial reaction of sadness it's starting to think about what can you do about it and um realizing like it's not just watching people storm the capital but there's other underlying issues in our society that we need to talk about we need to address like the the underlying racial the racism the underlying white supremacy the underlying twisting of of christianism like um, christian values and the gospel and our our and biblical doctrine and um underlying issues of of just accepting lies and and standing by and appeasing people that and i'm using that term deliberately appeasement because we we as in a greater we, but like people in leadership have stood by for six years now while Trump has blatantly lied, um, twisted the truth, made misrepresentations, mischaracterizations, and they did nothing to correct him, stop him, change him, remove him from office to the point where a massive mob of people stormed the Capitol to try and take it over. So... It's, it's so sad to watch, but it's the next step that there's people that need to be held accountable, but also we need to look at issues in our society of how we can correct this 
and ensure that this doesn't happen again. Um, and not just like it doesn't happen in, in the US, but it doesn't happen here in Canada too, because Greg said there are now, there's pockets of people here who were vehemently um, congratulating and egging on the people who were storming the Capitol, who were, who were, um, um, you know, saying in the name of free speech, this is the right thing to do. Um, so, yeah, it, it's sad, but once that initial wave of sadness gets over, or the initial fear gets over, the initial anger gets over, we now need to look at, all right, we need to address these issues. We need to address these underlying um, systemic issues in our society. Yeah, I, I resonated with all of that. I, I was at work when this happened and I, I already feel the tensions working as a black pharmacist in a predominantly white profession. And you just, you, you listen to people, right? So in what I do, I call patients all day, every day in a predominantly red state. And because I'm really good at code switching and I talk to my patients in a way that they assume that I'm on the same page as them, you, you hear things every day that made what I saw at the Capitol make way more sense than I wish it did. And I was sitting at my work desk just listening about it. We had our own cousin group chat with Greg and Laura and my my brothers and all, you know, just our whole cousin group there. And going back and forth through it. And I was, I was processing our conversation. I was processing what I was seeing people post about it. But I hadn't yet put my eyes on any footage yet because I, I just knew it was going to be bad just from what we were talking about. I was like, I, I don't know if I want to see what's happening. I'm sure I'm going to come across it later on today, but I don't really want to put my eyes on this yet. So I just kind of sat at my desk a bit numb, very sad, and then I kind of chuckled to myself because I had that moment. I don't know if you guys saw the clip of Stephen Colbert in his um, recount of everything and how he was feeling about it. But he had mentioned something like this was like the worst yet least surprising incident ever. And, that, and that's why I chuckled to myself. I was like, this is so typical. Like, of course we're here. Of course this is happening today. Why would this not happen today? We've been seeing this boiling since Obama walked into the White, office, White House. Like, this, is, this has been a thing. And so the fact that here we are 12, 13 years later after the first day Obama stepped foot into the White House, it, I don't see why this wasn't the result that we've come to 
and I actually got onto Clubhouse and I jumped into a Clubhouse discussion of black pastors and um, black professionals and I wanted to hear what they had to say and how they were processing it processing it before I even laid eyes on footage so I I sat there and I just listened I didn't it took me a bit before I felt comfortable speaking up about what I was thinking but hearing people talk about you know hey um some of our friends are thinking of finding a country in Africa to move to um do all of you in this clubhouse room have a license to carry? I think it's finally time that black people have a license to carry at this point. Like this should just be a regular thing in our households. Um, because this, this is only a precursor, a, the prequel to what's actually coming. And we know that we will be the ones targeted. So we might as well just prepare ourselves. And hearing that over and over and over and over for like an hour, I got to the point where I, I was actually fed up. And I was like, I, I, can't, I can't listen to the conversation of how do we start militarizing ourselves as citizens for what's happening. Like that was the most disheartening thing for me to hear people say that that's, the, that's their reaction because of that fear and the anger and the frustration. I also understood it. It didn't make it easy to hear, but I understood it. And I just, I just cannot understand the lack of empathy, the lack of ability to understand the true history of America to figure out why this is what it is. And how people, and some of you guys mentioned it, but some people some people didn't see this as much of a big deal because it was our own. I was, I was like, but it was our own white people. If this was our own black people, or our own brown people, we would have called it something completely different. So let's not play this it's our own, it's not a big deal card. That does not fly with me. And seeing the already conspiracy theories coming out of it, I just... I didn't know what to do. I was like, this is too much. I don't have, I feel like I just don't have time for America today. Let me revisit America tomorrow. Like, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I mean, the first, this first post, someone told me these were secretly Democrats who were posing as Republican. I was like, y'all got to be kidding. Who, what, I, what planet do you live on? What cave? Have you dug for yourself that you feel so comfortable to say something that insane today? I and and then to come on my Facebook page and post that? Who? What is who are you? What is happening? What is happening? Who? So needless to say, I've been pondering a lot. And I'm I'm deeply confused. I don't think there's anything to actually make sense of because insanity is insanity is insanity and you can't make sense of insanity. But I just, I just, I'm tired. 
I'm tired of the black first generation American of immigrant parents who worked very hard to be here. And I've been watching this stuff on a microaggressive level for a very long time. This, this felt worse to me than 9-11. Like 9-11, I think 9-11 felt scary, but it felt like we were all on the same page about it regardless of race and all that stuff. We were pretty unified for the most part because we all felt attacked, even though there was there's some other racial issues that came out of that, but that's a whole other conversation. But this one, I was, I was waiting for the solidarity conversations. I was waiting for the people who called out last summer's protest to start talking. I was like, oh, oh, did y'all delete Facebook today? Are you guys on Parler? Because I'm not on Parler. So maybe y'all are talking about it on Parler. So maybe maybe I'm just not part of that conversation. But y'all are real quiet today. Real quiet today. Um, it was just, I don't know. I, th- I felt like it was worse. Um, and now I'm, I'm kind of concerned. I don't know if you guys can let me know how you feel, but... I'm actually worried that Donald Trump said he doesn't want to go to the inauguration. My initial thought about that was, is he assuming that someone's going to try to assassinate Biden and he just doesn't want to get in the line of fire for that? Like, what what is his thought process in not showing up? I'm a little nervous. Um, But I don't don't know. How How are you guys piecing together the Capitol versus what's unfolding or what's supposed to be unfolding to our inauguration day because i i don't know what to make of it yeah i think for me when i think of the events that happened on january 6th the insurrection um that took place um it really makes me nervous for the inauguration coming up um i mean when you think about just the ability to be able to plan something like that to execute something like that um i mean yeah they weren't able to literally overthrow our government but they came as close as anyone right like they got into one of the most secure buildings um, in the entire United States and were able to, you know, but for the work of individuals who were shuffling out the electoral um, college votes out of the room and securing um, those, you know, congressmen and congresswomen, we would have had a totally different scenario on our hands. And so I think coming up, I hear so much rhetoric about, you know, how they're going to be posted um, similar situated people are going to be uh, are going to be posted up in capital cities all across the United States um, armed and kind of ready to go and and um, that DC is going to be potentially really dangerous and it just makes me a little bit I think if anything it makes me a little bit nervous for the lives of those who are going to be come officials on that day who the president elect and um, you know madam VP elect, that are coming right up to serve our country. And what is that gonna look like on the ground? I mean, it makes me question in some ways, the security of what, you know, like 
are we planning for it or are we going to say, oh, it's going to be fine, you know, the same way right. that we looked at this huge rally, like, and just said, oh, they're just visitors in the district. They'll be totally fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you go, when we went down there, you have to understand, like, there were so many people that, and so, and honestly, we heard violent things like all along the way. Like it was not a secret. It was terrifying. Wow. And were they majority peaceful with the exception? Yeah, sure. Like nobody was punching anyone in the face from what we can see, but they also all agreed with each other. And they were also, you know, expressing these ideas. And so when I think about the end of the month, when I think about what people are looking forward to and that what that group might be planning, um, you know, it does make me wonder how are we as a society going to interact with that important day? How is how is our, how are the systems that we have in place going to interact with the danger that is clearly posed to not just you know the officials being elected, but the citizens? There are real people who live in D.C. who are from D.C. who you know need to be protected, and then likely. Um, you know, similarly, those people who are in those capitals, capital, um, capitals across the U.S. need to be protected as well. If that's going to be happening, you know, how are we preparing for that? So, yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on how they interact. Garrison? Um, um, I can, you know, I, I think a lot of what Simone uh, said really resonates with me. I'm thinking about how unsafe um you know the inauguration is potentially going to be and what that event was supposed to symbolize for so many communities um i, I talk about you know vp uh, harris and i think about her intersectionality her um what she represents for so many people, whether it be, you know, the children of immigrants, mm. women, people of uh, black women specifically, but also Indian women. And as a black man, what she represents for me, it's it just, she represents so many things. And uh, I really was looking forward to being there on the day when our country, you know, uh, officially inaugurated, you know, its first, female VP and, and, and just again all of those intersectionalities that she embodies and now I don't feel like it's going to be safe I don't I don't think it would be wise for me to put you know my wife myself in harm's way to be there for that um and and I'm struggling with that because I really want to be there and a part of me is like no I'm going to be there in defiance and so I say all of that to say um that terrorism has implications that reverberate through so many areas, both seen, unseen, known, and unknown. When, when in 2001, when you know the 9-11 terrorist attack happened, every single time I saw an airplane, I was 11 years old when it happened, every single time I saw an airplane, I look up in the sky, I see an airplane, the first thing that came to my mind was those flight where, where those flights going into the World Trade Center, and now that that's that's the effect of terrorism, right? It it, it, right. it implants some idea, it implants some level of terror or fear yeah. inside of you 
um, that is hard to, to, to weed out. It took years for me to get to the place where I kind of don't think about 9-11 when I see an airplane. Many, many years. And now, I don't know if um, those who are Trump supporters, uh, those who maybe even hold to white identity politics or far-right politics, I'm not sure if they recognize the fact that their paraphernalia, those red hats, those flags, um, the things that they believe represents terrorism now. It, like, when I see that, I think we, we, we drove downtown a, a few days after everything had happened and they kind of the National Guard had shown up. We drove around and we saw people carrying around American flags. And that image is supposed to be one that brings me a great deal of pride. And yet, seeing it in that setting with the way that she's wearing a Trump hat and, and just all of that, it, it immediately sparked this, this feeling of like you are in alignment with people who who sought to terrorize our nation. Hmm. And so that's kind of a long way just to say that there is so much that has been that, that has been changed and affected um, that, that those actions will reverberate into so many spaces for so long, um, including the inauguration, which is extremely unfortunate. Hmm. I'm praying that if they do the um, the inauguration on Zoom, that they send us the link. Okay, we don't ask for much. We just want the link. Just send me the okay. link. Just, just send me the link. Click. Just click. Just click. Click in. They could do it like a webinar. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just send me the link. We all got Zoom at this point, so it wouldn't be hard. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I was I was kind of thinking about the the whole situation with the inauguration today. It's just funny how just this, the thoughts just kind of randomly happen. I was like studying and I randomly thought about it, but <laughs> like, oh, nephrotic syndrome. But what about? <laughs> okay. How are they gonna pull? Like what you were saying, Simone. Like how, they're like. This was able to go so far. This was an insurrection. This was domestic terrorism, flat out. They had a freaking gallows in front of the Capitol. Yeah. The moment I saw that picture, I, I thought, what was their plan? You know, what if they had gotten Pelosi, Pence, AOC, Romney, people from either side, either party, that, like... Can you imagine what would have happened if things would have gone even farther? Which now, considering how far they did go, is not too far off. And so then when I think of, of course, my mind, my mind has a tendency to just keep on going. And then with, what if this happened? So then I'm like, well, what if on the 20th, people with these advanced sniper guns, you know, if they have, are they able to sneak somewhere close by? Would they shoot Biden? What if they shot Biden? Now, what if they shot Harris, too? Then who would be next up? And then it's just this whole rabbit hole thing of awful thoughts. But then that for some reason, now they become a possibility. And it's, and it's sad, you know, because this is such a momentous occasion 
we have not only a woman, we have a woman of color in, in as a vice president. I was so excited about this. And it's, it's a huge thing for our country. And it's just, it's really sad that we, now we have to doubt their safety um, because of these, this whole lies of their legitimacy, then people not debunking lies for what they are, and then people getting carried away with the lies because it goes in with what they think about. Because I've been trying to follow this train of thought of how people can even get this way. And it's just, it's kind of a mind cluster. And um, my mind just gets into a bad place that I get super bummed about it. When you think about that, and then I think about even in a larger context of what the rest of the world looks at, of a free and fair election of democracy. Supposedly the leader of democracy now is having this tumultuous, you know, change of passing of the baton. And it's, get really frustrated <laughs> as like I've wanted and, I, and my friends tell me that I'm sometimes I'm we joke around of course that I'm not patriotic I'm like no I love my country I just am really disappointed yeah and disillusioned with the extremism that is disgusting here with absolute hate to other people because of what they look like, from where they come from, from what they believe in. Ugh. Anyway, I got off topic. Anyway, I am concerned about January 20th and I'll, I'll be over here. I'll probably be on shift. I don't even know where I'm gonna, I could be at work. I'm hoping to catch a glimpse of it, whatever is gonna happen. So I am really hoping and praying that it's gonna be safe for everyone involved. Something Garrison mentioned had me thinking about some kind of gut reactions that I've had recently, at least in the past, oh, gradually over the past four years, I've noticed a change in myself a little bit. And I, like when you mentioned seeing people in DC, even just with a red hat on or flying, not, well, American flags a lot of the time, which I've noticed a lot of this has just been my personal observations. What I've noticed a lot of times, a lot of people in the far right are really strong Trump supporters are very prone to not only wear their red hats, but also to fly American flags. And then now I feel like in the past year, especially it's gotten to be a lot of variety of other flags. And on Wednesday, we definitely saw that they were having atrocious flags, you know, not only maybe don't tread on me, um, swastika's confederate flag which i absolutely just have a revolting reaction to but when i see people even now even sometimes i even get triggered and i can't even imagine for other people if this is how i feel like even a red hat i'm just like eye roll or someone who has an american flag on the back of their car even like with like two or three american flags on the back of their car my boyfriend and i will be like wonder who they voted for and I'm like, it's just our flag, but, and I, I get very conflicted because I'm like, oh, 
does that mean I don't like America? Like, no, I, I like America. I like my country. But at the same time, why in my head, I just didn't know if other people have this reaction too. When I see someone who's uber patriotic, I automatically assume they're a Trump supporter or someone who is far right extremist. And so I've been kind of trying to digest why I have that reaction, but I didn't know if you guys maybe had some flavor of that reaction too, or if, I don't know what your thoughts would be. I'll start by saying that, yeah, I do have that reaction. I think, you know, we are so polarized that the smallest things have become shorthand for yeah. or shorthand indicators to the polarization that we're experiencing. Like mm -hmm. if you it, almost like it's incredible, like you could almost just say something or listen to a certain type of music or like post something, you know, and like I can immediately say, okay, they voted for Trump. It's almost like you're saying with you and your boyfriend, you, you see like three American flags on the back and maybe a don't tread me on the tag. And you're like Trump supporter. You voted for Trump. I know you did. Right. And like, yeah. That, and I'm that like, I'm trying to check myself, but it's like, ah. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that a lot of that is because of something that I've kind of started to call ideological gerrymandering. So this idea of gerrymandering mm. is that, like, we're going to set up the boundaries of a district to benefit us entirely, right, as a, as a political party. Um, mm -hmm. We see this a lot in the South where if you look at, like, District 6 or 7 or 14 or whatever in Georgia or Tennessee or whatever state, it's not just a square. It, it's, it's like, really, like, a weird kind of cutout, like, thing. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're, they're specifically including and excluding certain groups to make it easier for a specific politician or party to be elected in that space, um, almost guaranteeing the result. Um, and so this gerrymandering does not just exist in the way we're structuring districts in this, com in this country, but it's also, it exists in the way we're structuring conversations and icons and, and so many other things. And I think that it's fair for us as human beings to have shorthand. I think, as a matter of fact, I think it helps us um, stay safe. I, as, as, a, as, I, as much as I share your sentiment in that I am very against the Confederate flag. I think they were traitors, losers, poor fighters. I mean, I mean oh, yeah. they were, they, they were, fighting they had a war over a terrible thing like they wanted to preserve something that was absolutely um abhorrent um and yet i can't say that i'm totally against the people who value the confederate flag removing it actually if you value the confederate flag if that's something that you believe is worth keeping flying over your home or if you believe it's worth having on your truck or your car Actually, I kind of sort of want you to keep it there because it serves as a valuable shorthand that you aren't a safe person for me to interact with as a black man. Oh, it just shoot. Tells, I it had not thought about that one. Very clearly, I shouldn't be interacting mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. I should not, If I'm going to interact with you, I know there are limits. I know that there are boundaries that I need to put mm -hmm. in place. I know that there are some, certain things we're probably not going to agree on, so I'm not even going to bring that up. And the Trump hat also does the same thing. 
Like, as much as I want Trump and all of his stuff to go away, just, just it's, it's terrible for our country. It's terrible for our, our mental health. Carte blanche, like everyone. Um, I, I kind of sort of don't entirely want you to take that hat off because it tells me a lot about you and, 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 and tells me, like, Garrison, you're probably going to have to interact with this person. That's totally fine. We're, we're Americans. We share this land. We share this space. Um, but there's certain limitations. There's a certain barrier, a certain amount that I'm going to keep at, at bay because I don't know if you have my best interest at heart. It may be out of ignorance, um, but even that ignorance is telling, and it helps me at least know where we're working from. Um, and so in that, in that regard, I see value in it. Um, but I, I don't you know, think those shorthand uh, kind of symbols and icons are entirely uh, a bad thing as, as much as they grate me oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Kind of, yeah, that was really good. I feel like it's kind of like a, I almost don't even want to say anything. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, what's left to say? Um, <laughs> maybe a thought that I have about it um, is I think, I, I think I question how did I get to that point because I, I can totally relate to what you're right. saying mm-hmm. in that I look at those signs and symbols and I say, okay, like, but I was looking for, like, a 4th of July American flag outfit, like, two years ago, you know, or, or yeah. I'm worth, like, six years ago, but, like, six years ago for 4th of July, like, I thought I was going to be cute, you know, and, and I thought I was going to get, you know, where's my little hair tie and all this stuff um yeah looking all cute for fourth of july right but like now um it's it's hard to even imagine myself um kind of like elevating the flag in that kind of way that is just like so i guess like bold and just out there and it's all over my stuff and like all this all these things and i think part of that is just the juxtaposition of the way that I view being American and the way that they have expressed being American. And so like, Mm. I feel like they have, you know, in some ways, like, you know, people who are touting like MAGA stuff with the American flag are the same people who kind of turn around and say like, well, in the name of Christianity, give us our own jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't want any immigrants taking our jobs, you know, lock them out kind of thing, you know? And, and so, it gets into this complicated place of like your association with, um, you know, their association, I should say, with those two ideas of like Christianity and and being super American. And at the same time, being extremely anti-melting pot, extremely (laughs) anti-religious liberty, extremely- Mind blowing. Right? Like it's, it's exactly, it's, it's mind blowing. It's, terribly distracting from the beauty of America and it doesn't at all reflect the way that I view being an American and so like in some ways like I hate that they have like almost commandeered like really symbols that are are not <laughs> inherently bad there's nothing our flag is beautiful like it's great like it, it's wonderful but like I, I just could not, as, as much as I love America, I love people more. And so the fact that they associated, you know, such toxic ideas with patriotism 
has watered mm-hmm. down that experience of like touting the flag and, ma- and making it a big part of like something that I want to wear. And so when I see that, I think if you are insanely proud of America, when we're disenfranchising people, we're leaving people out, we're calling countries various names, right? Derogatory names. We're doing all the things that make like a, a person like prejudiced and, and bad and mean. And if you can be so incredibly proud of that, we're just on a totally different wavelength. And I almost, I'm, I'm still American, but I'm, I'm almost like kind of tapping out of the conversation to be like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm American, but like, I am not going to brag on that right now because we are really, mm. we're really acting up, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's kind of my perspective on it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's crazy. How can I say this eloquently? how much those the hyper patriotism slash nationalism Mm -hmm. and this some sort of version of christianity Mm -hmm. hyper judgmental and somehow super exclusive can all be intertwined and how you have to be in all three to be in this group and if not then it's just so hard for me to wrap my mind around and yeah, it, it, it's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if uh, Candy, you were about to jump in there. I don't want to take no. any time that you got. No, you you go ahead. I'll go after you. Okay. Um, you know, I was gonna say that I think, frankly, we can look to. Uh, I guess I'll start by saying that I think we need to reclaim patriotism and we need a really concerted concerted effort to reclaim patriotism and i think you know a a a prime example of what that means are um the black americans who have served this country Mm -hmm. um overseas where they say there's something about what America, the promise of what America is, it is, it can be, and it is to be, um, spurs me on to serve it and to serve its interests, both domestic and abroad, knowing that it is not serving my interests when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And I think uh-huh. that is a, a level of, of patriotism that is just mind blowing. Um, I think that's true in my opinion. I think that's true patriotism. What I see today are the ideas that were always at the foundation and the core of America, which is Christian nationalism, is a part of the American DNA. Um, you know, this this idea of manifest destiny that we learned with like Lewis and Clark and like like these guys, the westward expansion that we learned about in like middle and high school, mm-hmm. like that idea what what propelled you know these settlers in this new land um to feel as though they had the right to displace natives and they had the right to conquer this land was the idea that god had ordained europeans to come over and to tame the savage and to tame this land in the name of jesus that has always been at the at the foundation and the core of um of so much so many of the ideas in america so that's always been here. Um, the exclusivity of who is American, 
has has always been a part of the American DNA. And the fact that, you know, this this toxic masculinity that, that men are more valuable and specifically white men are more valuable, that's always been present in American history. Um, and so what we're seeing are ideas that have always been present um, be challenged by changing demographics and changing socio-political structures. It's been challenged to the point where it can no longer exist as an assumption. It has to be stated because that way we can make sure that we've set up the teams. Like for, for the existence of this country, white men have always had the power, the political and social power in this country. They've always existed in that space. They've always, it's, Christianity has always been a dominant political force. And the idea that America is exceptional, thanks to God, has always been a dominant political idea in this country. But we have to name it now because we're losing touch with that foundational identity. And so I think we're existing in this really big identity crisis right now where people are trying to figure out who America really is. And there are those who are actively trying to hold on to a version of America that, you know, I would say is extremely toxic and extremely wrong. And they're stating that explicitly. Um, and then there are those um, perhaps in this conversation who are actively saying we need to redefine and reclaim and reimagine what America is so that America can be America, that promise of what America can be, can be that for everyone. I, I like that question a lot because... as much as like Garrison was saying how as much as I don't want symbols to be there I need them so I know what I'm encountering mm -hmm. so it just kind of gives me a a sign of like oh oh thank you for uh showing yourself so I can approach you safely for my for myself and at the same time it's frustrating, like Simone was saying, because it's not that you're against your country, but the symbol of the country has been very well hijacked. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you get into this space where you don't want to have to always explain your patriotism. I, I'm tired of just explaining being a black woman. Like, I don't want to explain also being an American. I don't want to also have to explain how I'm first generation black versus not. I don't, I mean, I'm exhausted doing that and having to do that. I'm willing to do that if it helps progress the conversation and help us get to a better space. But in this season, especially after January 6th, the symbols are necessary. They're also exhausting for someone who doesn't resonate with the hijacked message. And I don't, I don't know what that symbol, I feel like the symbol 
is going to keep evolving into something I less and less and less resonate with. And I'm going to have to continue separating myself from whatever that evolution is turning into while also trying to be a proud American. I don't know what that looks like. Because even, you know, even today we can't just say, oh, if you have an American flag and you're black, oh, then you should, they just must be a patriot. That's not that's not always the case today now. So we we got we got the stragglers. We got the ones that slipped through the cracks. And so um even then, it's like, you know, if it was a 100% you don't see people of color with flags, it would make it a little bit easier to maybe say like, "Oh, the ones who have flags that are black or brown, they're just proud American black and brown people." But we can't do that. So, again, we're going to have to keep explaining ourselves. We're going to have to keep explaining what kind of American we are if we do have something patriotic or even saying God bless America. And it's like, do you really, like, how do you feel about that as as a black Christian? It's like, oh, my goodness. Okay, you know, it's just the conversation is exhausting, but also necessary. The symbols are necessary, although they're, becoming more frightening than some of them already were and I, I I don't really know where that's gonna go but I have a feeling we're not we we're the train's not stopping anytime soon so but that's a really great question I'm glad you posed that Brent do you want to respond to the original question yeah I, I think uh so I'm kind of in a different circle than I think I think all of us kind of have different circles to an extent of who our friends and things are um, so for one of the things for me, I, I'm really worried for Inauguration Day. Um, I know people that I've called out on social media um, for sharing things that are being posted on Parler and things like that. I'm not on Parler because I have a life. But like, you know, I just some of these things that I've been seeing, like they're straight up calling for the exact same thing almost on Inauguration Day. Um, and inauguration they're outside you know there there's a lot more fear i think um and for me um i'm telling you just be totally honest today i I was super disappointed um as a pastor in other churches um if i could tell you the number of things i've seen pastors posting about censorship about oh man they they took trump off off twitter so now they're going to remove your church's uh facebook account blah 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 blah. i'm like some of y'all maybe need it removed but like all i'm thinking is like you guys are fueling this flame like as as a pastor i have the way to call hey that's sin you're being stupid you're not loving people well you're just planning a flame like you are making this worse like and then to preach a sermon or to make comments to where you don't even denounce what happened you almost make it sound like you were somewhat okay with it like in a sense like it blows my mind and it scares me deathly i texted one of my buddies yesterday i said don't go to dc that week like stay home go see your family like and they work there you know i i have friends on both sides of the aisle working in in the capital like don't go stay home like 
And I'm sure I'm not the only person that's texted in that, but it, I mean, they're calling for some crazy things. Like somehow if they assassinate Biden and Kamala Harris, that, that means Trump's president again and not Pelosi. Like, come on, let's learn some chain of command. Like blows my mind. I want to jump in here. Um, I, going back to something you said, Candace, but then also picking up on Brent, um, the idea that we, we can't follow the, the train of uh, insanity from these people. I think we can actually follow where their warped logic has come from in terms of like, they are fearful, this group. They feel that their identity, their way of life is being attacked and they've turned inward. They've become very like, it's about me and my little bubble. I don't want to hear about anyone else's worldview or perspective. Um, uh, if you don't agree with me, you are the enemy. And that whole way, I'm not gonna listen to anything that doesn't agree with my logic. So everything else is alternative facts. Everyone's turned really inward and that inward bubble because everyone's fear has just bubbled over. Um, and so what I'm actually worried about, yes, looking at the inauguration, uh, it's scary to think of um, potential protests or uh, um, violence that might occur, but I'm actually really worried about the church um, in a larger sense. We, 2020, we just, due to the pandemic, we've done a lot of online churches. I personally haven't just because of some of the restrictions here in my um, home city, actually haven't set foot in a church building for about six months now because they're, they've been doing things. Um, and I've seen uh, my fellow congregants, my fellow church fellows posting things on social media. And I'm really worried when all these restrictions are over, when we're able to gather together in person, when we're able to see some of the people who have been posting things on social media in person, I'm worried that the church is not, like we're gonna split ourselves into multiple groups. Um, and not that we're not gonna survive because I think we are, but it just, I'm worried about the splitting within the Christian community because we've had this section that have just, they're ride or die for Trump. They're, they don't wanna listen to reason. They're not gonna consider the, the facts in front of them. They're not gonna listen to, um, they're not going to listen to anything. They've, they've made up their minds regardless of what's being presented to them and everyone else. And I just feel like we, in the Christian community, we've split ourselves into these camps and I don't know how we're going to reconcile. Um, and I think that's going to be, that's what I'm worried about is how do we reconcile the split that's happened in the Christian community, the pastors that haven't called out this behavior, they haven't um addressed their congregants that this isn't uh you know we're not showing christian love by by attacking immigrants by attacking people that don't look at, like us by attacking people that don't believe the same things we do they haven't addressed these divisions and i'm just, yeah that's what i'm worried about i i definitely want to touch upon laura what do you said about like um white people as a whole and their identity um and feeling like it's lost or something like this is all even all the trump stuff that's I'll, that's a bigger thing too but the white people <laughs> it's all learned behavior like from i i just remember i read these textbooks i was told these things the white man came claimed this land they did this they did this they have the right to do all that and then you have the right to learn about it and so you as a white uh, me as a white man that's what i was that's what i was taught i was taught that all of these things that white men did were okay throughout history. And so then when you are, so that's how you grow up in public schools. And then when you are out in the world and you don't actually have the knowledge to keep going and you're poor or middle class, you have to latch onto something. 
You have to latch on to something else. And then we, and so you have whatever you have, your job, your kids, your family, um, your hobbies, your guns, what, what have you. But then a global pandemic happens and you can't do any of those things. So it's a perfect storm of, well, now I can't do anything that makes me me. So who am I? And then you have this man who is telling you who you can be and rallying for you. And even though he's doing bad things, he's still getting away with it because he's a white man. And like, it's all of this like learned behavior and it's almost like you're in this terrible relationship, but you keep going back to that man. Um, and it's all so crazy. Um, and I also want to talk about the inauguration day. Um, one thing that I heard on, on CNN was that they were not going to invite him to Trump to the inauguration. And so I think him saying that he, um, we all know who Trump is. He is a proud man. He's not going to lose. I think him saying that he's not going to Inauguration Day is him trying to get some of that blowback from actually not being invited to um, Inauguration Day. Um, I don't, I personally don't want him to be there. Um, I was in D.C. actually for Thanksgiving with one of my friends and her family. Um, traveled safely, did everything, got tested. Um, and we were walking around and I was like, what are they doing? And she's like, oh, they're building the inauguration stage. And I was like, that seems so backwards to me. And I can't believe Biden is even letting that happen. Cause one at the time I was like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Why would people be gathering to watch this inauguration in person? Why are they building these things? Why are the hotels in DC already booked all this stuff? And I'm just like, the smart thing to do is to do the inauguration in a closed space in an undisclosed location. It does not need, and, and televise it. It does not need to be outside, big and fancy, spending all of this money, all of this money to build these stages, to get these people outside, to have Secret Service, to do all this stuff, so then we can watch a man receive the job that we gave him? I don't think so. We don't need that. It's not the time. Like... Yes, with the $600, like, come on, use that money for something that people need. We, we need to, like, start thinking better about these things. Um, and then even going past that, like, people are like, oh, should, should we impeach Trump? Should we get him out of office? All this stuff. And they're like, there's no time. There's no time. But guess what? If we impeach him now, we don't have to start the trial right now. We can start the trial after Biden's elected. And we better start the trial after Biden's elected because then <laughs> the majority won't be with Mitch McConnell. It won't be with the Democrats. And so we'll actually be able to do something. Sorry, that was <laughs> I'm really uh, a little bit passionate about that. But um, whew, thank you for listening. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyone else? That was fantastic. Okay, so in my estimation, just because the inauguration is ten days away, like it's this, there's there's uh, there's plenty of time to get things done. In my, uh, I, I have a very very um, uh, I'd say simplistic, uh, watered down understanding of a lot of uh, political jargon. But from my understanding, 
the two things that Biden is saying right now that he wants or that he's hoping will happen in the next 10 days is either the cabinet invokes the 25th Amendment or at least they present articles towards impeachment, which one of the uh, the House members is saying that they're doing tomorrow. Like they like they are on this. They're just like they're going to get to this right away. I think it was in the show 24 when this happened to the president. It happened in two hours, like at four o'clock in the morning. But in the back of my head, I'm just like, no, okay, that's a TV show. That's there's, there's no way that's going to happen. Everyone's taking their time. When this happened last week, the cabinet and the house said that they were taking a two week break, and I'm just like, the U.S. Capitol was invaded for the first time since 1812. When the British burned it, and you're gonna take a two-week break. If this was Al Qaeda, if this was any other group that came in and stormed the Capitol, you wouldn't be taking a two-week break. Come on, come on, you gotta take this seriously. For for okay, coming back to the inauguration, inauguration. Alex is a hundred percent right. A hundred percent right. We don't need to be spending money on this. We don't need to be going all out, super super excessive with these things. Honestly. Give Biden a Bible, do the inauguration from the Oval Office, live stream it on Facebook, and everyone can just go, woo, we have a new president, woo. Like, all of this stuff out in the open is not is not necessary, and it actually reminds me of what happened when Obama was elected, which was 12 years ago. 12 years ago, when Obama uh, was coming to his inauguration, he got out of the car with Michelle, and there was a big open sidewalk and he's waving at everybody and he just had this big smile on his face and like the crowd was excited and whatnot and I looked at I, I, I was watching this I was like 18 years old but I was I was thinking to myself please do not be another JFK moment like I was just thinking that like there was a faction of the world that was so angered by what had just happened that they would they decided they, they were going to take matters into their own hands and Obama kept walking, and he kept walking. He made his way to the stage, and I was just thinking, please, God, please, God, please, don't don't take this moment away from so many people who have waited years. They've waited years to see a black man go up on that stage and assume the presidency. Don't take this moment away from us. Now more than ever, I fear the danger of that situation for Biden more than anything. So, yeah. If it's not safe and Trump's already said that he's not going, then what is the point of going through all these motions to make this happen? If we know that there's already tensions are so high, the danger is real, and there's a global pandemic happening. If there's so many strikes against this actually being a positive thing, why are we putting all the time and money and the effort into making it happen in the first place? That, that's my two cents. Wow. If I could chime in here, so kind of going off what Greg said, I think that this plays into the American romanticization of these events. You know, we look for rallying points and we look for somewhere, oh, we can come together, we're going to have a beautiful inauguration. Like, And we do this almost on a scheduled basis after these things happen. If you look at any tragedy in America, if you look at like any sort, any sort of example you can come up with, but we look for points to quickly forget about the raw cause of why, how we got to that point, to a Sandy Hook, to a George Floyd, to any sort of movement. Um, I it, it sickens me from when you finally realize, like, we are so desensitized that we move on so quickly 
because we are so ready to find one good thing. We're like, oh, we have an inauguration and now it's over. And we're, we've turned a page. This isn't who we are as Americans. Like, no, this is who we are as Americans. And that's the problem. And I think that it's just been perpetuated the last four years, especially by an administration who hasn't pointed fingers um, at white supremacists, has said, we love you to the people who are in the Capitol. All of those things, we are so quickly to push away because we're like, oh, Biden and Kamala will be better. When in reality, like, as you just said, it's even more terrifying now because all of these people are like going zero dark 30. You know, we don't even know what we don't know what Trump's thinking anymore. And I'm all for taking social media away. But now we, we don't know anything. So it is it is more scary. I think that's a very good point. I don't know if y'all <clears throat> watch me kind of clutch my chest there for a sec. Um, Greg, when you when you mentioned that moment with Obama, like that shot me right back. I literally, I just started felt my chest like I was like, let me not have a panic attack on Zoom right now. I feel like I'm about to have a panic attack because I remember, I remember him being voted into office. And then I remember that moment thinking, please, for the love of God, don't let this man be shot. That was, that was my biggest fear. And I, I'm sensing that again, that sense of, oh my gosh, these guys are going to come back. They're just going to, know, I know they're probably going to up security and all that stuff, but why, why put them out in the open where it's not like there's supposed to be some ridiculous crowd out anyway. So they don't need to be outside. They can they can be in two separate rooms in two separate buildings in two separate cities. Like they could be anywhere in some secluded area in their rooms doing this online. Like we we don't need the pomp and circumstance. We can't afford the pomp and circumstance, I don't think. And it's just not, it's not worth it. Ooh, my chest, y'all. I'm like, that sense of nervousness is, it's, that's a lot. Like, I can't, I, I don't think anything will happen to them. I pray not. But it's, it's so overwhelming. And then when you do hear and see people talking about it in such a divisive manner, it makes you question that, I mean, maybe, maybe what we saw at the Capitol was literally just a sliver of what they're actually planning for the inauguration. Maybe that was the test group, you know, like, I don't know. Um, but I, the the level of hypocrisy is is driving me bananas. Um, just in just in comparison from last year, like I I just or even in twenty sixteen twenty sixteen when Trump walked into office, I remember obviously being in a red state, the number of people who were just like Hallelujah Yankee Doodle. But then I also remember being in class, okay, and. I walked into class and of course I was in Lexington, Kentucky and 
we're a very we we live in a very blue county so the energy was definitely very different for us and I just remember I don't remember anyone feeling like they wanted to go run to the White House and push Donald Trump off the podium or anything but we had this moment I think in almost every class that day we started with a moment of silence and people cried that was our reaction we didn't feel the need to go and like hurt people and steal stuff and knock things down and take selfies and post them on Facebook and wherever we just had this sense of what just happened and what's about to happen um so this is this is wild to me I'm I'm getting 1960s vibes and I'm not liking it um I'm I do worry that we could have an attempt to have a JFK situation going on for Inauguration Day. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't trust a lot of people right now as far as making sure things go smoothly over the next few days or even weeks, even after Inauguration. I'm, I don't think I will feel a sense of peace until I see it for myself like I mean it's just like you know we're all going we survived 2020 me I was going like hold on guys it's not like the clock strikes 12 and we're all gonna end up in some magical land of candy corn and bunnies like this is not gonna happen we need to know that this is about to be 2020 the extended edition until further notice we (laughs) we need to be honest with ourselves here and the capital proved that point that we are still still dragging 2020 with us into the next year and i am not sure what the solutions are i i empathize with Laura and how I'm feeling about the church and and Brent you mentioned it as well just because I know historically and those of us who've actually done our research on America and what what the true history is versus whatever crap they put in our textbooks um that America, we can we can talk about it being founded on biblical principles and you know on Jesus and stuff. But I'm sorry, like Jesus would not be down for this. He would not have been down for it at the beginning. He wouldn't be down for it any time after that. So when I hear people justify their egregious disgusting racist actions and thoughts by saying it's because we just want what we've always had in being founded on scripture now i get offended as a black female who just so happens to love a non-white jesus okay i'm tired of people taking this blonde hair blue-eyed jesus and saying that he is down for y'all running to the Capitol, stealing people's mail, trying to get vote, trying to knock people over. I mean, no, I don't, 
what version of the Bible are you reading? Who is your pastor? The his his church, y'all. I know y'all heard about his church, Brent. Uh, we got to be mad embarrassed about his church right now because the pastor of his church is now all over the internet, and he's from our hometown. And let me tell you, he can stay in D.C. if he needs to because we do not need him back over here in our hometown. It's just too much because it's it's that type of mentality. It's that level of superiority of who you are and t twisting the gospel to fit such a evil narrative and then trying to cloak it with the robe of Jesus Christ. Bro, you better sit down in a pew somewhere because I'm not having that, okay? I'm not having that. We can't have that. That's too much. That... And that's and then people turn on the church and say, see, you all are like these crazy groups. And it's it's so frustrating and makes you want to be explicit. Um because you know that it's not true. You know that that is not what scripture teaches. And to see your church leaders fueling such things putting that out there and justifying people's thoughts of the church that they already had that were quite negative in the first place it's not making it any better it's not making it any better it's not making people of the church seem safe it's not it's not making people of certain race groups safe it's not making people of certain cultures safe it's not making people feel safe and it's disheartening that now everyone feels the need to be on the defense. We're all kind of watching and waiting or secretly plotting something to only fuel what a lot of us are trying to slow down and take a step back and go, we need to regroup or something. We need to, we need to look at some stuff. We need, we need to, give some things some new definitions like i'm not trying to say the word change and it mean take away the superiority the, the superiority that you have and whatever i mean if you have superiority in your life whoop-de-doo for you i'm yay but you can share in that and not lose that sense of whatever you think you you have like i mean we need we need to we need to have a conversation we need to put some pe we need to have an American timeout. Go, hey, guys, we we have got to regroup somewhere because the the pockets of lies and conspiracies and narratives that are out there that are being pushed out as truths, and then you have these like deep deeper secret truths, and then no one knows what's true and what's what's false, and then we've now narrowed it down to like the one mouthpiece in America that has all the truth is brother Donald Trump. And it's, it, 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 I can't, I can't process this. I can't, I can't make sense of how we ended up with one dude, some old dude with the toupee that I've been waiting for four years to blow off his head is now this, the microphone 
for all things true. How did we, how? How now, brown cow? How did we get here? And then you want to you want to fight people over this stuff. And I'm look I'm looking at the inauguration. I'm praying that someone someone has a wake up call and is like, you know what, guys? Maybe we should just like pack up and take it to a coffee shop somewhere that no one's using. Like, I mean, something. I'm I'm waiting for someone to have that moment and realize that that we're on purpose putting our president and vice president-elect in an unnecessarily dangerous situation when we already have word from people saying that they're planning to show up again. Then don't put them where they want to show up. I, I mean, that seems like the best logic ever. Um, but, I'm, you know, I'm going to stay here on a hope and a prayer and hold my breath Cam- on inauguration day. Candace, can I put a, a question to everyone? Just, you yeah. mentioned um, regrouping, and I just, and I'm not trying to be facetious, like how do we actually regroup? Because the issue, like the reason how this, one of the um, factors that led to this is the fact that people are now just looking for information that validates their opinions already one of the things that came out of the Capitol is this complete rejection of traditional media. You saw AP Associated Press's, all of their equipment got destroyed. They, they ran a bunch of journalists out into the street. Um, I happened to be watching Al Jazeera English live that evening and like one of their correspondents had been attacked by people. So I, and I'm asking this honestly, how do we have this larger conversation where the platforms we have them the traditional ways we used to have these conversations, people don't no longer find valid anymore. Girl, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Like, I literally have no idea. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I've been sitting here trying to figure this out since last year with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I'm over here going like... <laughs> there are so many narratives out there. I can't, I cannot collect them all and no one has the patience or the care to want to come and put them all in one pot and go, okay, so what do we need to sift through? Because this is a lot. Um, I don't think there's one way to do this. I don't think there's a clear way to do this. I don't even think there's a collective way to do this. I feel like I feel like I've personally had better success even having the conversation of, I think what you're saying is completely ridiculous. And coming at it from a personal perspective of kind of what you were talking about earlier as far as, um, you know, why why do you feel the need to act the way you act or think the way you're thinking or speak the way you're speaking. What is that driving for it? For what is that driving force? What we can all relate to is a sense of fear. We can relate to a sense of removal of power. We can relate to a sense of lose 
identity loss. We can relate. Like, so there's like things that we can relate to, even if the angles are totally different. And I have found that when I have, even in my confusion, been able to extrapolate those very minute pieces that connect us with someone who feels very differently than me. And I can go, yeah, I can I can sit with you in the idea of feeling like your identity is leaving you. Now, I feel like identity was stolen from people, um, which you wouldn't necessarily understand at the in the angle that I'm thinking of. But now maybe you're feeling like your identity is being taken. I can sit with you in that for like 10 seconds just so we can kind of have a little kumbaya experience. But then we need to have a conversation. And then we need to talk it out. And when I put it in a sense of I've heard you first, then it's easier to have the other conversations. And we still probably often walk away disagreeing, but there's at least a level of respect. Because when it comes into those like, Facebook wars or Instagram wars of who's right and who's wrong and it's all the Democrats or it's all the Republicans and I don't think it's all of anybody. Um, The emotions are so high and I feel like if whoever can come in to be a diffuser, which is why I really like Biden and Kamala Harris because they try very hard to come at the issues in a sense of I hear you and I want you to recognize that I hear you so you can then hear what I'm actually saying to you and maybe that will enter your frontal lobe. Um, but I, again, energy is really high right now. So I think it would, it would have to be on a more individual basis, which would cause a lot of us to have to swallow a lot to just get through thinking that we can empathize with someone that is saying really crazy things. Um, But I think that's the same thing that um, is similar to how people were trying to protest in the Black Lives Matter movement and marches as far as trying to get people to understand, you know, with Breonna Taylor, a sense of losing your child unexpectedly to violence. I think, you know, parents should be able to sit in that space and even imagine if they haven't had a child lost to violence, the idea of losing your child to something violent. Let's start from that strain and then work our way up to what actually happened. And finding that that didn't happen, I don't have as much faith in our society that we can get there if we didn't get there with Breonna Taylor. But I'm hopeful to keep trying just for the mere fact that I know that millennials and Gen Z are willing to have those conversations. So I, I trust our generations to do this conversation and really come to those moments of what can we do to have resolve and move forward in a way that's more equitable. I don't know about the generations before us, though. Um, not not as hopeful. Understanding where they come from in the... America that they grew up in and the America that some, not all, want to return to. 
yeah, I think it's a little harder. But maybe our generations will be able to do a better job at that. I think it's hard. Um, I've tried to have the conversations with a few people, especially um, some family members who voted for Trump twice. Um, I've tried to do all of that. I've tried to, like, find the common ground and then have the conversation. And sometimes they're not, they're still not willing. I remember, um, like, the, la- the last time I spoke to my grandmother before the election um, was the last time I spoke to my grandmother. Um, and I came to her and I was like, listen, I know you voted for him last time, but, like, me as a gay man in the community that I'm in, like, I'm really just, I'm really trying, I'm trying to find it. I'm finding it hard to have you still support this man who has done so much against not only my community, but my friends' communities. Like, I, like, my roommate is a black woman, and I, she lives in D.C., and I, like, texted her, when did this happen? Like, there's so many things that keep happening, and and I, I tried to level with her on family. I was like, listen, we're family. And if you really, like, love me like you say you do, can you please do this one thing for me? And her response was, well, I'll have to, I'll have to read a little bit more in the newspaper and find out if what you're saying is true. And then she voted for him again. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we don't speak. I mean, not, no one called each other on Christmas. No one called each other on Thanksgiving. Like, so that's that. And then and the other thing that I'm on the flip side of what you were saying, I'm actually nervous. Because as I said earlier, like all of this is learned behavior. Um, I have cousins younger than me, much younger, who wear their red hats, who wore their red hats to my, my family, a uh, big Italian family, like loves get together. And like a couple years ago, um, <laughs> the aunt that hosts Thanksgiving is a very liberal teacher, like very amazing. Her husband's Iranian. Um, and so there's that whole side of my family as well. Um, and one of one of the youngest kids, uh, cousins, came with a red MAGA hat um, to a household that he knew would would have people from the Middle East. Would knew he knew gay people would be there. He knew that he was going to incite something within us. Um, and because it's not. It's not about Trump. This is America. America is racist. It was founded on all, all of those things. And it's systemic. And it's not only us. Like, I know we have some Canadians here. Like, the thing is, we knew this would happen. America's racist enough that we put a black man in the office. The next thing that was going to happen was going to be retaliation from from sides of hate so they were going to put trump in office um which sparks all of this because the red hat doesn't it's not about making america great it's a front um for hatred and racism and and bigotry and everything that goes along with that um but people are concealing it with something else concealing it with faith concealing it with beliefs concealing it with their facts concealing it with their realities um so sometimes it's hard because especially because like this does it reaches far beyond 
America. It reaches far beyond what happened on January 6th. It reaches far beyond any of the black and brown men and women and trans men and women who have been killed, like even in this past year. Like it, it doesn't just hold, it's not just in America. It's a worldwide thing. Um, and especially going back to like young people, like we see young people on the news with their red hats marching. We see young people doing these things, learning it from their parents, from their pastors, from these other, like their group leaders. And so as much as I want to think that like our, our generations are doing better and we are like, I mean, like two steps forward, one step back is still one step forward, but like, it's still not, it's still not bringing people together. You know, and the thing that's really scary about so Trump's now in office and now Biden is going to be in office. Biden was in the office with Obama. So people are already going to hate him. He's also bringing a woman of color into the office and many people of color into his cabinet. And so that's what makes me nervous. The actual day of the inauguration doesn't make me nervous, but it is what happens after that with these people hate so much and especially because there's not a lot else to do right now people are passionate people are passionate on the left people are passionate on the right um because we have the time and the means to be um but like i do feel like the right has has so many more steps to come meet us in the middle and i don't know if they're willing or able to um take a look in the mirror to make those steps just yet yeah. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I think I think that's a good word. What he said. Um, as someone who grew up very much on the right, who worked on in as an intern for a Republican, um, one of the things that I, I've always tried to be was moderate. Um, but for some odd reason, four years ago, after Ob- if we look through history, Obama, by every stance of the is a moderate. Um, Clinton, all these things were, were considered kind of moderate. Biden is, in a lot of senses, is a moderate compared to the extremes of his party. But the thing was, the Republican Party, when they decided to vote Trump, they didn't just do a moderate. They swung as far to the right as they could, and that made it hard. Like, that makes it hard for these meetings to happen, and it's so hard. And um, I have, you know, I have a master's in counseling. We have somebody who's working on a doctor in psychology. She probably understands a whole lot better than my master's and um, how people work. But one of the hard things is people don't listen. People tend to sit here and think, let me realize what I'm going to say before the other person is done talking. Um, and it's such a, it's such a terrible thing. I mean, and the, you know, think about it in a marriage. Um, sometimes my wife and I will, will have moments, you know, where we get in, you know, we just are uh, humans. And sometimes I'm thinking of a response before I actually listen to her feelings. Um, and I actually listen to um, how what I said upset her. Um, and I think we miss that. I think, I think that's the hardest thing that will be the hardest bridge to gap is just because, you know, you know, I'm a moderate by all stands. I voted for Biden. Don't tell my church that. Hopefully they don't listen to this podcast. Um, but um, I was really team never Trump. Um, but, um, you know, it's hard because, you know, for some people, it is their identity. 
Like that is who they are. They can't imagine um, being talking to someone who's not a hundred percent on the same wavelength as them. Like everyone in this this group here, we have differences. There's some things that if we sat down and talked them out, we would probably butt heads on. But if we can't understand, ultimately, the main thing people in this world want is love and appreciation and just an encouraging word, we'll never get anywhere. And I don't understand why that's so hard. Like, even the biggest MAGA people want to be loved. Even the most progressive, I don't know whatever word, social, I don't know whatever word they're using this week, you know, for the other side, you know, all they want is love. They want to feel valued. They want to feel appreciated. They don't want to feel abandoned. Like when we can somehow find a way for those people to understand that, I think some things will change, but I'm with Alex and everybody else. I just don't know when that will happen, but honestly, you know, you know, I think it take a lot of people just need to go get a hug from somebody they don't agree with. Like, some pastors need to go hug a gay man, you know, and just realize, hey, we can like each other, you know, and, you know, talking about Alex and, you know, whatever it is, find whatever that difference is and find out, man, we can still like each other. We can still love one another. We can still care for one another. I can still want the best for you despite whatever the difference is. And that's just something I pray for, you know, but. I was thinking about what you were saying, Brent, and how that's such a fundamental human need to feel seen and to feel loved and understood. And we're in this space where a lot of these arguments, they are arguments, happen over social media, and they're so dehumanized and so stripped down to this profile and this handle. And there's even thinking about like the psychological impacts of that, of when you hold a position and someone else comes at you with facts or proof on the other end, there's this thing, don't quote me on this, I think I'm saying it wrong, I think it's the backfire effect where you're gonna staunch in your heels even harder and push back even harder. So it really is, and I feel for you, Alex, that conversation between you and your grandmother broke my heart and that's about as personal as you can make it. And, and still that didn't seem to budge her and it really is heartbreaking. And it's hard, right, to be curious and respectful and really try to understand another person to really turn it into a conversation. And I think that's the hardest part about it because I think on the side that I'm on, it's like how do we debate um, racial equity and equality? Why is this a two-sided thing? And so I think I become so defensive and so impassionate that I sometimes – I forget to be curious about the other person because we're not going to have a conversation if that doesn't happen, but it's really hard. Um, and amygdalas take over and you become um, emotional because how can you not be emotional or humans? We're not robots here. Um, but it's really hard not to have that backfire effect and to just staunch in your heels and not be able to like have a, a give and take conversation. So I really appreciate what you were sharing, Brent and Alex. Yeah. How about you, Garrison? I'll say that I think, um, I, I really think it's a, it's really incumbent upon our nation's leaders to start telling the truth. Um, that like people are, we have leaders and leaders lead and whether we like the way they lead or not, does not take away from the fact that they are leaders and they are leading. And um, it has been summarily proven that 
Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris won the election. That there, there was no, there's no significant um, consequential fraud that took place. Um, some have even said that this is was the most secure election, you know, in American history. And so I just say all of that. Um, and I could say way more to say that people have to start telling the truth. That's how we heal. As long as we are choosing, um, you know, lies and choosing violence, we won't heal. And for me, and this is just my opinion, that's kind of the, the, the bottom line for me. Um, it, there, there's no like fancy answer in my opinion, right? Like people just have to tell the truth. Um, and especially our leaders. Yeah, I think, you know, when I think of her question, you know, I think of her saying, how do we regroup? And so automatically in my mind, I think, what does regrouping mean? And I don't think regrouping is even necessarily doing the deep work of like totally healing from everything that's happened. I think that it's literally just being ready to take another step. And as a nation, I do think that we are struggling <laughs> to get to that point where we can even take another step. I think everybody is wondering, like, how are we not on a national mental health day right now? Like, I, <laughs> I should be paid whatever I am owed just to exist today, okay? So I think that's where we are <laughs> as a collective, honestly. I, we've been through so much. I mean... And some of us in, in so many more profound and personal ways than others, especially throughout this pandemic, have lost family members, have lost loved ones, have, have journeyed through unemployment, have you know been fearful for their lives, their kids, all these things, so many things. Like we're struggling, right? As, as, especially as a collective American society. And so when I think of regrouping, you know, it also makes me think about kind of like what Garrison was talking about with leadership. Um, and I actually have to say this, I would be disingenuous if I didn't say this, um, that I am surprised that there have been Republican leaders that have turned around and openly condemned some of this stuff. Um, are they receiving hate mail? Absolutely. I went, listen, my senator in Nashville or in Tennessee, uh, Marshall Blackburn, Senator Marshall Blackburn, okay? Uh, there's not much that I have been able to agree with before. However, okay, she voted in support of verifying the election results. I was shocked. I was shocked. It was a total 180. And I went on her Twitter and I looked at the people who had quote tweeted. Everybody was so angry. No one was like sharing this sentiment of like, wow, I'm kind of surprised, honestly. Like, I'm impressed. I don't know what happened. I mean, maybe it was just the event that happened that made you change your mind, but this is surprising to me. Nobody was saying that. Everybody was furious that she had turned their backs on them, quote unquote, right? And so I think when I'm looking at our leadership right now, I'm disappointed because they got us to this point, in my opinion, right? But I'm also thinking that we are on a road that can have some sort of like regrouping and moving forward together. Like there is, there were people at the rally who were mortified that they were up there breaching the Capitol and were leaving. Like they were like, I'm done with this, right? And that's a totally like, 
I think that there are just so many categories of thought that exist. And in terms of regrouping, in order for us to kind of get on one page enough to take a step together, I think it is going to take some re-education, some just acknowledging what's happened and being able to kind of take that next step. Um, I'll also add in this last thing that as Adventists, we are perfectly prepared for this because we know people in our circles who have never relied on a reliable source for their news media all their lives. So uh, for their for their information their whole life, they've been conspiracy theorists their, the whole time on this earth. So it's clear <laughs> that we can proceed, okay? <laughs> we can proceed. She said we the whole proceed. time. It can happen. We've been, we've been doing it as a denomination for a long time. That's the last thing I'll add. Not wrong. Sorry, Advance. We got to call oh. y'all out. Um, oh, that was so we live and breathe. We live and breathe that. Oh. For, we eat oh. that for breakfast. Rough. Breach. Right next to the veggie links. Rough. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> Big Franks. <laughs> Big Franks. Conspiracy theory. I can't. Oh, I. Oh, Christina, do you, have so, a re- do you have a response? I completely agree with what Garrison and Simone have said. I think the only things I can think of is I mean stuff that I've tried to do for for myself to make myself more empathetic and more understanding of people who are different than me I and I continue to need to work on these myself I mean they sound so simple but yet they do take effort is just just listening to other people and I know it sounds so simple but I need to work on it myself you know I need to listen to what the other people who think opposite of what I think are saying. I need to also respect to a certain, that one's a tough one too, to respect other people, just hands down. Um, I think, you know, not being, you know, when you hear things are wrong, that are flat out wrong, you know, totally call them out. But I think listening and respecting is going to be a huge huge aspect of moving forward um and being just to shut up and learn what other people's experiences are and to not deny that those are their experiences because you haven't been there you didn't have that upbringing you didn't have that background and so you were not going to know what that's like at all unless you listen um and to resonate what they have said, what um, just the transparency and honesty. It's, it's wild how much conspiracy and theorizing and all these things have taken, taken a hold of our country and run with it. Um, transparency from our leaders is so, so important. I'm not sure what all goes into their minds, whether it's re-election, whether it's their constituents, whether it's all these complicated factors of their jobs, but just being honest and transparent is going to be paramount right now because all we have right now is facts and we have to go with facts and data. And this has also been part of my life with COVID is data. (laughs) You know, this is what we have and this is what is, what is true. People say, live your truth now. And I'm like, no, no, you, there, there is the truth. 
there is data, there's facts, and our leaders need to stand up for those things. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of leaning with this whole aspect with the media, um, that's been, it's a little, and I'm not a journalist by any means, but I have seen in the past four years a, a real persecution of the media, which is, I think there's one aspect of holding them accountable, which is totally justified. They need to tell us the truth. They need to print us, present us with facts. And I do think that you can find that. Um, and I think it's what a lot of journalists strive to do. And I have a lot of respect for journalists and them digging and calling and, and trying to find the truth and present it to the world. Um, and, you know, they were there on the 6th. They were trying. And somehow they, all their cameras got broken or they got yelled at, beaten. You know, that's, then what are you trying to hide? You know? So I, I have a lot of respect. I think they do need to be held accountable, sure. Um, but um, I, I have a lot of respect for media. But at the same time, you can't. You do have to be aware of the biases that people bring into things too. So um, I'm hoping we can get in the next, in, in the future, a new respect for media. It does, you know, when you incorporate social media into things, it, it, it is tricky. I will say it is tricky. I watched, what is that thing called? The social dilemma. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's tricky. And it's, it messes with our heads in, in a lot of really interesting ways. I'm so glad I have a therapist. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, but I think we need to respect journalists and um, know how hard they work for spreading truth. And um, yeah, unfortunately biases are something we're just gonna always have to deal with. And we need to learn to recognize those in other people and in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had, um, I posted on my Instagram today a thought that I had when I woke up this morning that said, hate is our native tongue, press to for empathy. Like that's, that is how I feel about where we are that we're so overwhelmed and not even just by the racial political climate but we are also dealing with our healthcare system right now there's an economic crisis on top of that there's a lot of layers that people are processing all at the same time and they've been kind of hitting us like crashing waves that don't stop and people are regardless of what your position or your experience is currently I think people are just wanting to find where they can breathe like where like you're taking breaths and you're gulping down yucky ocean water like that that is how it seems that people are suffocating in the vitriol they're they're drowning in this systemic 
disease and we don't know what to do with ourselves and it's like everyone everyone has some kind of cry that they're trying to cry out and it's like by the time you have found a space to breathe what comes out is all of the yuck that you've just inhaled for however long you've been inhaling it and it's built up so much that no one else seems to be able to hear you as clearly because of what's coming out but the fact that they're also drowning in their own part of the ocean in a part of the ocean that you're not in so you can't empathize with their ocean waves and so you feel like what you're going through on your part of the ocean is worse than the other person and it's like we're we're all having an experience that's personal whether we agree with it or not and some people want to try to rationalize the fact that they're not the only person in this ocean dealing with something. And I think that's where a lot of us are, like in this particular group, that even if I literally cannot get on the train with you that you're riding, I can see that you're lost just as much as I am, but for a totally different reason. Um, and I may not like how you're trying to find your appropriate train station to stop at, but I can recognize that you're looking for a train station. I'm also looking for a train station. Now, how can we get ourselves to be at a similar train station that can get us safely to where we're all actually trying to go, which is a place of peace and empathy and solace and love and generosity at the end of the day? Somewhere deep down in the hearts of those who just try to destroy our democracy, they're wanting that. They may not have all of the appropriate tools to express that to us, um, but if you strip it down to its to its bare bones, I think that's where we are. And it is very heartbreaking that we are in a space like you were saying, Alex, that even when you do try to get to that space of saying, hey, I might not understand the ocean waves that are crashing in your world, but I recognize that you have waves. I also recognize my own waves, so can we maybe sit together in that space and then see what we can do to maybe help each other get back to shore safely? And knowing that some people just want to deal with their waves on their own with the people that are in the wave space that they're in. They don't actually want to sit in your waves with you and then all together find a way to all of us make it to shore. That is heartbreaking. Um, I'm quite emotional thinking about that as a just a human and also as a believer in Jesus who I think was the best moderate ever like he somehow made people from every side of the aisle come to him and be like hmm you're on to something and then those that didn't 
he just, you know, he'd call them out and then he just leave them to figure it out because it's like, I can't, you can't, I can't make you try to do this with people that are seeking solidarity in love and freedom and a beautiful world. If you want to live the life you're living, that sucks, but I know free will exists for you to do that. So unfortunately, I'll let you do that. I, 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 I agree that unfortunately, because a lot of this drowning we're in is taught and some kids are taught to jump in the waves too and drown with us. It's great. Um, we're still gonna, I mean, we're still gonna have to deal with it. We're gonna have to meet other millennials and Gen Z who are very much about hate and think it's the right thing to be about. And that's unfortunate. But I think also it, it might, I don't know, I don't know. I don't even know if I should say that. It might not be as bad because I think there's more of us that are recognizing that and trying to do better. But someone's always going to slip through the cracks that we have to make sure that we address and handle in some way, shape, or form. Um... I hope that hopefully later down the road we can have another conversation because I'm sure there's going to be more to talk about on this stuff. I feel like this is our never-ending story. Like, literally, I mean, like, we, we, we love this story in America. I mean, it keeps us going um, to be our own entertainment system when we don't have entertainment because of a pandemic. Um we just we just create our own and here we are um we've been in the longest season finale of america um and i it's just like you feel like you have a commercial break and no no the show comes back on and it's worse um it's worse every time you turn it back on so what are your final thoughts for people who may be all over the place about all this and I, I, I want I also want Greg and Laura to talk to not just talk to America but also talk to Canada because it's it's rolling over there too and just what what advice or what I don't know words of comfort or a plea a cry do you have um for how we can move forward or just better process this so we can get out of this hell hole that we're in. You know, I think, um, I think that I, I just really want people to be, um, thoughtful, patient, understanding, and definitely willing to listen and converse like Christine has kind of already pointed out. Um, but I think that I mentioned, um, being patient in particular, because I think that I've, I've heard so much discourse about, you know, 
how like face masks, for example, are just the ultimate oppressor and, and, oh, they're trying to take away all of our rights and we are just losing them right and left and we're never going to recover from this. And this is the first step. And, um, I just don't think people really understand or really think about the fact that that this pandemic really could be so much shorter if we would just kind of get it together and and do what we need to do um and that this is a very temporary space like we don't every year there's not like a global pandemic you know what i mean this is we're, we are not true to this. We are new to this, right? Like, this is something that's very new for, um, you know, certainly, you know, there are people who um, study these things on a regular basis. But as a society, we're very new to this. And so I think in terms of, you know, drawing conclusions from like, we're wearing a face mask, we're, we're turning into communists. Um, they are a private company is censoring me on on Facebook and Twitter. We're becoming, you know, we're we're anti free speech. I just think that we have to elevate ourselves away from those ideas and think more critically about where we actually are. I don't think that we've been very self aware, you know, as a society. Obviously, there are people who believe in science and are wanting to regroup. I think a lot of us need to probably just go to therapy and cry a couple times and then try to regroup and proceed. But I think my plea to people who are kind of like on the fence maybe between, you know, what to believe and like where, whether to listen to your aunt who only gets her news from offshoot, you know, YouTube videos or, or like, you know, actual like, <laughs> you know, doctors and, and professionals and things. Um, you know, the courts of law that are making decisions on voter fraud and all those, those types of people, I just would invite them to just like, really think in a more, um, in a, in a more holistic way and to think, you know, kind of beyond their own personal circumstance. Um, I know this might be a kind of a weird answer to your question, but, um, how do we get out of it? I think that we have to change our mindset. You know, I think we have to think differently and move differently in order to do differently. Um, and so hopefully if we're able to do some of those things um, and broaden our minds beyond just what, you know, one person is telling us, then we'll be able to, um, you know, we'll be able to see a new, new, a new dawning, a new morning come soon. Yeah. Greg? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I was, I was going to say that, what I've been noticing a lot is people want to highlight differences between other people first. They want to create a clear division between people right away. Oh, I don't know if this is loud enough, but here, hold on. Yeah, okay. So, if differences are the key thing that you're using to understand other people or figure out where they fit in or how you are going to fit into that narrative or how you're going to be able to cultivate a relationship or a friendship with other people based on differences. If that is at the forefront of your mind, of course that relationship is going to be unhealthy. Of course that division is going to be clearly set up from the beginning. You're going to run into friction. You're going to run into divisiveness amongst people. And honestly, at that point, you have to figure out if that is really a relationship worth cultivating or pursuing or even 
trying to trying to stitch together or mend it. Like um, listening to Alex's story about his grandmother, I I wish I had a more a, a more a compelling story along those lines that I could use to you know relate to what's going on. But in Canada, I've noticed way more more than often that literally anyone that follows U.S. politics again, if you are like you know pro Trump or pro Biden, it's like that's the key thing that's going to figure out like if you are able to sustain a relationship with people. Like um, even the church that I previously served in, where I I, I just left uh, uh, the end of 2019, close to the end, um, there were several people who were still friends with me on social media, who are avid Trump supporters, who know where I stand in terms of um, that. Uh, political designation and it, it doesn't stop uh, them from being who they are and I don't let it stop them from being who they are I don't go uh, go into what they're doing or what they're saying and you know try to start a war or try to start like you know a, a, a deep-seated conversation because to them it's just it's them it's part of who they are it's part of their identity it's the it's the key uh, it's the key part of their personality that they've chosen to cultivate so I'm just like well if I can't I can't even have a conversation with them if that's what they're clinging on to so dearly. But all I can do is try to understand that I, I don't want I don't want to look at the differences. I want to look at what is going to help bring us closer together. And the thing is, politics shouldn't be the thing that brings us together. Politics, um, choosing one side or the other, Democrat or Republican, that shouldn't be the that shouldn't even be the thing. And honestly, even uh, choosing a, a, a religion shouldn't be the thing either. Again, a lot of people say that, you know, ultimately uh, the, the thing that should define you the most is, you know, your relationship with God or whatnot, but I'm just like, well, no, but the thing is there's a lot of pe- people who, who, who aren't going to fall into that circle or that designation either. Ultimately, if we want to find some way to come together and, uh, and find some common ground with a lot of people, it's it's understanding more of who they are, more of their story, understanding ways that you can relate to them rather than disagree with them, understanding how they felt throughout a lot of these experiences as well. It's something that I've had to um, that I've had to explain to my wife several times because a lot of these events they've triggered me so much, and I've gotten so passionate, and I've started like I've broken down and I've cried in front of her, and she can't understand. And a lot of how I feel, and I and I've tried to break it down for her, and I say, well, you know, 400, 400 years of inequality, blah blah blah. There's a lot of stuff that she doesn't get because she hasn't, she hasn't experienced that ever in her life. But finding those ways where we can come together, we can understand where we've been, what journeys we've gone through, how they've made us feel, and understand that yes, as humans, as people, we feel the same. We may not feel the same way about certain things, but we have the same emotional spectrum that can connect us through a lot, a lot of these experiences. I love that. Anyone else? I think, mine are still processing, of course, after all this stuff has happened, but we're dealing with the reality that a current president incited a domestic terrorist attack. It's pretty wild. I think that 
and it's been the culmination of four years of this. Um, I think what people need to realize is first the reality of what happened and call it for what it is and using the right terms of what it actually is. I think we need to also realize our country is not perfect. Our country is not the best. However, and what I've kind of had to come to grips with is that you can still love your country. Um, kind of like a, a family member that you're just like, you know? <laughs> um, I think we all need to realize the places where we've gone down a wrong path or the, the places that and, and, and acknowledge it for what it is. Um, no one wants fraud. No one wants to wear a mask. No one wants for small businesses to close. No one wants to be stuck at home. I, I think we need to all, you know, like cut. I know it sounds so cliche and I kind of almost hate myself for, for saying it, but it's just like, if we just work together to get through this, it's awesome to think of what it could be. Um, it was what I would hope to be. Um, we have new leadership coming in. We have new vaccines on the horizon. We've got science brewing with all kinds of cool stuff. And we have such smart people at our, as our leaders and as our, our, our um, of all different scopes in the government and science and technology. Um, there's a lot of potential in our country and I really, really am hopeful that we can move forward in those directions while still not denying our past and realizing the point we have gotten to. So I'm, I'm hopeful and I see a lot of potential. Um, but I also, like I said, we can't, we can't forget the point that we've gotten to. So we do, we need to move forward from here. Garrison. I think we are, um, at what so many people have described as an inflection point. Um, and it reminds me of, of the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, probably his most prescient and, and relevant book to this very day is where do we go from here? And the subtitle, the, the, the line right under that title, where do we go from here? The line right beneath it is he gives two options. He says chaos or community. Those are your options. It is a, it's a binary path forward. We are at the fork in the road and we have to choose. And I think that there are many things that can be said about what it means to choose community. The decisions made by those who stormed Capitol Hill, they chose chaos. They, they woke up that morning and said, I'm choosing chaos and violence. But if we are going to choose community, there are at least, I can think of at least two things, maybe three off the top of my head that need to happen. The first is that we have to abandon the rigid individualism 
that we have come to know and love as Americans. Um, we have to understand that our collective fate rests on each and every one of us. If I choose not to wear a mask and I go into the store or I go back home for Thanksgiving and then I have to go to work or whatever it is, there are consequences and we're seeing how profoundly interconnected we are. Um, there, we, we have to, at the very least, um, engage in some type of collectivism. Um, if not a social, if not from an economic perspective, that's fine, at least from a social perspective. We have to understand that we are interconnected and my personal decisions have implications for other people. And the second thing that I think is really, really important in choosing community is to embrace contradiction. I think when we desire to be totally ideologically pure, we naturally find ourselves in environments that are monolithic. Monolithic in thought, monolithic in appearance, monolithic in religion, monolithic in culture, whatever you wanna say, we find ourselves completely siloed with people who completely totally agree with me. And when we abandon that need for ideological purity and we open ourselves up to have some contradictions, to, to make space for some things that don't totally come together, that is when we can be more inclusive and have the country that we want to have, where I can have total respect for someone's um, pro-life beliefs and someone's pro-choice beliefs and recognize that the two have to exist somehow in this very, very polarized country where I can completely understand trickle-down economics and fiscal conservatism while also understanding the need for programs that help those who are marginalized. By leaving just a little bit of space for contradiction and a little bit of space for uh, ideological ambiguity, um, I think that we, we can have a place where we can have better conversations. Because um, right now, I can't hear what you're saying and you can't hear what I'm saying. And it's because if you don't agree with every single last thing that I believe in, then the conversation isn't worth it. Um, I, I fear that spaces like Facebook and the groups on Facebook or Twitter and Instagram and all of the things that are, are constantly placing us in narrower and narrower communities with people who agree with us only I fear that those things are at a point where they have literally bubbled up beyond the internet parlor or Mayway or whatever the thing is. It's bubbled up beyond just being an internet thing, a message board thing, and now it's having very real world implications. And until we get to the place where we're okay um, with existing in a country that doesn't look exactly like the way I want it to look, but we're moving forward and we're having real conversations and hopefully we're better. Um, I think we will be choosing chaos. Um, but if we want to choose community, those are the things that I think we have to do. I'll chime in my final thoughts here. So I think coming from a medical perspective, oh, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. Like we often hear do no harm as the first rule of medication and medical, any profession, you know, you take the Hippocratic oath. Um, and we've talked a lot about sitting in a space together um, talking about empathy and I think that this needs to be our goal 
But I think like in the short term, especially, we're going to have to settle for tolerance where any of these two sides not getting their way doesn't result in wanting to harm the other side. Um, We get to this point where the extreme reactionary retaliatory reflex takes over. And I think that, you know, our first paso would be we have to we have to target this tolerance we have to have those kitchen table conversations and not be silent um more than performative activism and i think that this is such a clear way you know talking to your grandmother i had convinced three of my family members to vote biden this year through multiple conversations like it takes time um but my, my final thought is just that we have to get to a place of tolerance. If we're not going to be empathetic toward others, we have to get to a, a point where we don't want to hurt other people. And I, I can see it when, when you talk, Candy, you, your heart is like aching. And that's the point that we need to get to is like her heart's aching and my heart's aching. But I don't want to hurt anyone that doesn't disagree with me. Like I think that that, or that doesn't agree with me, sorry. I think that that's where we're heading. And I think everyone on this call is a wonderful steward of that listening to you guys has been an absolute honor thanks i yeah i actually like right when you said that i was thinking of like the golden rule that my mom taught me growing up treat others the way you want to be treated and it's like it's so how did we get here um how did we all i feel like everyone knows that little little tidbit and how like when did you stop doing that when did you start learning the other side i do think i I do think people who are are following trump and the the maga revolution and all this stuff i think they have a few more steps to go um i do think it's gonna unfortunately and it always kind of always does end up on people like us to be the bigger people to like set aside our hate for them because we all have that right now um but if if we have that they're not going to want to come over they're not going to see that okay i can i can like break bread with you um i think it's also just we we grew up in a time where they're like, don't talk politics at the dinner table. Don't do this. Don't do that. And that, that has got us to a place of, we don't know how to, we don't know how to talk to politics with family members. What we need to be doing that. We need to be educated. We need to talk about these things, especially with your family members. That that's your home. Those are your people. That's your blood. Um, as much as you want to disagree with them and as much as you'll fight with them like that's where it starts it starts with you um it starts with you taking that step and the step that i see taking is one a deep breath (laughs) and um you know a little bit of forgiveness and it's going to be hard um harder for others but that's what it's going to take it's going to take forgiveness and time. Yeah. yeah. I kind of just affirm what the Alexes say. Um, we have two Alexes. I'm just going to refer to you all as the Alexes. Sorry. Um, but I just really uh, resonate with that. One of the things that happened last year and the craziness and 
talking about, you know, learning to forgive each other, not being reactionary and things like that. Um, last year, soon after I did a podcast with Candace, we'll see what happens after this one. Um, I had some people in my church try to get me fired for speaking up against racism and uh, some things against about that. And just so y'all know, I'm, I'm located literally like half a mile. Right now I'm saying it's half a mile from where Breonna Taylor was killed. Um, so spoke up about that. But being reactionary, it was really hard for me not to just lose my total junk on some people in that moment. And learning to not be reactionary is something that I've had to learn last year. Because, man, I'm telling you, I wanted to lose my stuff. Uh, one, because you just don't come after people's jobs. I have two kids at home, a wife. You don't come after my job. Like, that's a no-go. I'm going to def- defend my family. But I think in the midst of all this stuff, we, we got to be careful not to go to their extreme um, and just learning to, man, just, just care deeply um, and keep trying, keep having those conversations. Um, and even letting them have their conversations um, as hard as that is sometimes to listen to um, and sometimes it's hard I grew I'm in a very MAGA family and I joke I told them at Christmas I voted for Biden so you imagine they're just kind of really going on so I just thought I'd start the pot so you know the same thing not being reactionary <laughs> um, but um, I think that's such a good word um, and I think that's a real good takeaway that I hope everybody can take away that let people listen, but don't just respond the way that don't respond poorly. Cause we do, we all do sometimes. I don't know if I have anything new to add. I think gather your people, whoever your people are. Um, and that's largely talking to non-black POC and white people. Um, cause black people have done enough. Um, and we need to join in and not stop talking. Um, it's hard. It's stressful. It's activating your stress response. So I think, Candy, you were talking about this earlier. Find people that you feel safe with as well. You need to take care of yourself as you're doing this. Like, literally, drink water and breathe. Um, and take care of yourself. Because um, this is not right. This is not performative. This is long term this is forever until we pass on um so pace yourself and don't stop and that's that's it gather your people let's do it i think uh my final thoughts are um just watching everything that happened last week is the government's not going to save us so everyone who's putting their great faith that like we're going to be saved because we have one government versus another government um it's there's always going to be problems regardless who's in power there's always going to be problems um so like everyone else has been saying um you you got to start with your family you got to start with your circle um I'm going to quote Michael Jackson's song, like, you got to start with the man in the mirror and you got to, you got to start asking, you know, the person in the mirror to, to change their ways and to, and to fix some of the, the prejudice and the reactionary responses and all of that stuff first. Um, and then you got to spread that out. You got to deal with yourself and then you got to spread that out to, to your family, to your friends, to your community. Um, but I, but I have hope. Um, one of the things I love about the U.S. political system is that it actually forces people from opposing sides 
to work together to get things done. And unlike some other political systems out there um, in Canada, we have a, a, a different um, sort of political system that's very oppositional. It's one side against the other. But what's great about the U.S. system is that in order to get anything done, is people from both sides of the aisles needs to come together. And they're like, for the good of everyone, we're going to get we're going to work together to pass this legislation or to fund this program or to, to get things done. Um, so I have hope that that system will eventually prevail in terms of getting forcing people to work together um, to get things done. And as we as a larger society keep having these conversations, we keep having, um, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the just looking at what happened at, on the Capitol, we keep having these conversations that more and more people will start putting looking and being like we need to work together to get things done we need to work together to make larger scale changes in our society and we're going to keep working together to ensure that this doesn't happen again like we don't want to see this again so um we we've got to make some changes to ensure that it doesn't yeah i agree with all of you um uh, y'all um was getting emotional hearing some of what you guys are saying. Um, my my last thought would be to forgive. I I think we're having I think everyone's having a hard time forgiving people for how they're thinking, how they're acting, how they're reacting, what they're saying, how they're saying it, and. Last year, um, I started thinking of that statement that Jesus said on the cross, and I'm going to put it in my own words, Father, forgive them because they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Like that, that has been, (laughs) that has been playing in my head over and over. And I'm just like, who let me forgive you? Cause I don't, I don't think you, I don't think you see it. I don't think you get it. And I need to, I need to recognize that and do something different, adjust myself. Um, but forgiveness has been huge um, for me to want people to get to a space of with, with the tolerance and striving for. A better version of America than we've for way too long been dealing with. Um, I want to end with this. Um, I had posted this on Facebook a week after the election in 2020, um, which I think kind of ties up what we were all saying. So I had posted that society seeks to pin us against each other. There are people, policies, and systems set up to cause us to think we are each other's enemies. Friends, do not get caught up in the lies of the world. Seek to understand, listen to one another, realize that life isn't just about you. It's about all of us. Ugly never looked cute on anybody. Check yourselves. If stepping away from situations or removing people from your life brings about peace after trying to live peacefully amongst men, hey, you do you. 
We can't force anyone to love, care, empathize, none of that. But we don't have to get caught up in the game of pin the person on his or her neighbor. Everyone loses in that game. There's a better way to live amongst one another, and ugly ain't it. So, guys, thank you so much for being willing to have this conversation. And I hope that those that listen can find people to sit down and have this conversation with, whether you guys are all on the same political page or you're on different sides of the multiple aisles, because there aren't just two, but there's, there's a variety of aisles right now that we have. And maybe even talk to people you know from outside of your community, outside of the U.S., and just listen. We, we, our ears are plugged up, and we're our own soundboard in our own minds, and we got to get out of that sometimes. We need to stretch our hands out and say, let's sit and have a conversation, and let me fight my desire to react and just process what you're saying and see if I understood what you said by responding back and asking questions and then we can turn around and you do that for me like we we're not going to get anywhere until we actually give ourselves the opportunity to hear listen sit in that marinate in that process that and then move forward but until then we're going to dance this dance for for a long time so again thank you guys thank you guys for listening to today's episode and if there are any topics that you want discussed in the future please let me know Um, shoot me a dm or tag me in a post on social media i'm at first fossil Um, i'm gonna collect some of their if not all of their contact information so um, check out my website if you ever want to reach out to them and talk with them or with me about what you're experiencing what you're thinking what you're processing if you have questions if you need help figuring out solutions and how to talk to your parents or your grandparents or maybe even some of your friends that you can't understand why they think the way they think or your spouse whoever it is that you love deeply and you desire to have solace, reconciliation, peace, and love for one another, even if you step away disagreeing. Reach out to us. We, we, wanna, we wanna help out with, with moving forward and making our America a better place and making our brother and Canada up there also be a better place. We wanna make sure that they're doing well I know they're directly affected by what's going on here as well. So until next time, guys, please stay safe. Continue to social distance, but do not disconnect. Stay connected with people. And we'll see you guys on the other side of all of this. And the rest of you guys, thank you so much. Take care. And we'll all talk soon. Bye, guys.